Here again, God's words of promise to Abraham. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today as we continue our journey through Believe, uh, we also begin a new five-week series called Identity Crisis. Identity is a pretty hot topic in our culture uh, today especially, and there's a lot of confusion uh, revolving around it as well. So these next five weeks, what we want to do is uh, answer kind of these five key questions you see on the screens, and we want to do that by reading through God's Word together uh, as we use Believe. So first up is our question for today. Who am I? That's a pretty basic question, but a very complex question as well. And uh, by its very nature, it cuts right to the heart of our identity. Who am I? The world offers all sorts of answers. Uh, We come up with plenty of answers of our own, uh, whether we're a Spartan or a a Wolverine or whatever else there may be. Uh, By the way, can I just stop for a second? (laughs) Sorry. Now, I think I'm a pretty neutral party here. Can we, I'm talking to both sides, can we remember that if you're a Spartan fan, Wolverine fans are human people that Jesus died for. And if you're a Wolverine fan, Spartan fans, same thing. Especially that, that punter. Uh, say a prayer for him today. So, okay, so back, back to what we were talking about. We have all sorts of answers to the question, who am I, don't we? And sometimes we get a little carried away with, with our answers, but... We're here today to talk about God's answer. God's answer is by far the best. Uh, So as we start to answer this question, uh, let's start here. When you introduce yourself to someone, how do you usually start? For me, I usually start with my name. Before I really get to anything else, usually that's that's what we start with. And so uh, this past week, uh, several of us pastors were at the Michigan District All-Pastors Conference. And while you're there, you wear a name tag. Now, this is very helpful because at these conferences, you run into a bunch of people that you know really well, but you also run into people you've never met before, so the name tags are helpful there. You also run into a number of people whom you've met before, uh, and you maybe should remember their name, but but maybe you don't. And so it's, uh, it's really helpful to be able to go up to somebody and say, oh, yes, hello, David, my dear friend. It's so good to see you again. You know, our our names are are one of the most important things about us, you might say. They're certainly how we often answer the question, who am I? And our names can be very meaningful as well. So my name, Caleb, means bold. My parents named me that because they want me to be bold in my faith. We named our son Ethan because it means strong or constant or ever-flowing. We want his faith to be like that. We named our daughter Anna because it means grace or favor. And we want her to always remember God's grace and favor shown to her through Christ, her Savior. So as I reflected on this question, who am I? And as I thought about the role that names play in our lives, I was reminded of another important question. A question from Romeo and Juliet, where Shakespeare famously declares, What's in a name? 
that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Here, Juliet is telling Romeo that his family name, Montague, which brands him as an enemy of her family, the Capulets, is meaningless, that the hostility that it breeds is unnecessary. And, and so she urges him to deny thy father and refuse thy name so that he can love her forever. Or at least until they both tragically end their own lives a couple days later, which is how Shakespeare's plays usually work. But the point is, Shakespeare seems to be indicating that the names really don't matter all that much. But God disagrees. And we see this in Genesis 17, where God gives Abram a new name. And along with it, a new status, a new identity. The God who will later make Jacob into Israel and and Simon into Peter here puts the ha in Abram and makes him Abraham. A name which means father of many nations. Now as you know, if you were, were listening carefully when Pastor Sean read the lesson, if you've been reading along with us, Abraham was an old man by this time. 99 years old. Now, I know you're not supposed to ask people their age, but I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. Uh, How many of us here today are, right now, 99 years old? Could I have a show of hands? Any of our third graders? No? A few of our fourth graders in the last service were 99, so uh, they're really struggling to, to move on in school. But yeah, 99 years old. Now, if you don't know somebody who's 99 years old, I I did a Google search, and uh, this gentleman was celebrating his 99th birthday. So uh, picture him or someone you know that's 99, and imagine God coming to that person, changing his name, and telling him he's going to be the father of many nations starting now. It would be ridiculous. It would be absurd. And it was with Abraham as well. Now, to be fair, this was not the first time that God had made this promise. And he had actually begun to show hints already of the promise being fulfilled in spite of Abraham's doubts. Now, Abraham, at 86 years old, had become a father, but not the right way. Not God's way. At that point, his name was still Abram, a name which, by the way, means exalted father. And yet, whenever he would ask himself the question, who am I? He found himself confronted with an identity crisis because this supposed exalted father ironically had no children whatsoever to speak of. And so he and his wife Sarai had taken matters into their own hands. Abram slept with Sarai's slave and had a son, Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the son of the promise. And so despite Abram's failures, God comes to him now 13 years later and reiterates his promises for at least the third time, according to scripture, depending on how you count it. And I think it's important to note how God does this. So first he says, you will be the father of many nations. You will be, you know, despite everything you've seen or done or or doubted in the past, you will be the father of many nations. And to make sure that my promise really sinks in this time, let's make it official. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. No longer shall you be called Exalted Father, a name which no doubt has caused you some pain and heartbreak in the past as its meaning went unfulfilled. Now I am upping the ante. 
And so God grants Abraham a new name, a name rooted in God's promises to him, promises renewed here. There was nothing in Abram that would have led to his being a father of many nations or of any nations without God's promise. But here, God doubles down on that promise. And along with God's renewed promise comes a new name, a new status, a new identity, a new answer to the question, who am I? Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Did you notice that? Not only does God say you will be the father of many nations, here he says your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. The man has been Abraham for about five seconds, and God is already declaring, I have made you a father of many nations. When as yet only the promise was there, and Isaac, the son of the promise, was not yet born, let alone conceived, God speaks as though it is already a reality. Because when God promises something, it is a reality. Immediately. Actually. When God says something, it is real and true. And so when we ask, who am I? And God answers, his answer is real and true. And this was confirmed for Abraham when Isaac was born within the year. God gave Abraham a clear and wonderful answer to the question, who am I? But what about me? And what about you? Well, to answer that, we have to move from Abraham to the son of Abraham and son of God, to the true son of the promise, Jesus Christ. Abraham's name and its meaning were significant, and so are those of Jesus. The angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And just as Abraham found his identity in the name given to him by God, I find my identity in the name given to Jesus, because Jesus has saved me from my sins. And it is Jesus who tells me who I am. But in order for me to know who I am, to truly appreciate who I am, I have to know who I was and how God has given me a new name, a new identity through Christ. It's exactly this that Paul is reflecting on in our reading from Romans 5. And there he tells me who I was in no uncertain terms. I was powerless, ungodly, a sinner, an enemy of God. All of that in just six verses. Pretty bad news. But it's not the end of the story because that's not who I am. That's who I was. Because when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were God's enemies. But we are now reconciled to him. Through the death of his son. When Abram was still childless, God gave his promise and made him a father of many nations. When we were still powerless, God gave his son and made him a sacrifice for many nations. For me. For you. I was weak. 
But now I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I was ungodly, but now I am the holy temple of God where his spirit dwells. I was a sinner, but now I am a saint, justified in the eyes of God. I was God's enemy, but now I am his dear child. So are you. Paul says in Galatians, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You and me. We are living proof of God's promise to Abraham being fulfilled. We are the many nations of whom Abraham is the father. A countless multitude of every nation, tribe, people, and language. As numerous as the stars in the sky. Who am I? I'm a descendant of Abraham by faith. And God has a promise for me as well. Because God said to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. That's you and me. We are children of Abraham. And consequently, children of the Most High God. That's what John says. We are children of God, born not by man's ways, but by God's way. Born of God himself. To all who believe in Jesus' name, he gives the right to become children of God. My identity, your identity is rooted in Christ's identity and Christ's gift. The identity of Jesus is given to me, Son of God. Now I am too. Holy, righteous, blameless. Now I am too. Who am I? I am in Christ. That's how the scriptures talk about it quite a bit. I am in Christ, wrapped up in his death and resurrection, sealed and saved by him and for him, with the Holy Spirit as my stamp and my guarantee. You know, for all the talk of rights today, when it comes to how we self-identify, which is an oxymoron anyway, there is only one right that matters. Jesus gives me the right to become a child of God. And that's what I am. God has declared it, so it is real and true. So why don't I always feel like a child of God or, or act like one or, or look like one all the time? Why do I sometimes feel that God naming me his beloved child is a case of mistaken identity? Have you ever wondered that? For one thing, the world is constantly pressuring us to find our identity anywhere other than in Christ and our Heavenly Father. Like Juliet, the world tells us to deny thy father. And refuse thy name. The world wants to tell you that names don't matter. At least not the names that God gives to us. The world says your identity is found in whatever you choose to be. Today we get to choose all sorts of things. We get to choose our sexual orientation. Our own gender. Some have even tried to choose their own race. The world celebrates and rewards those who don't know who they are. You know, it used to be that people found their identity by how they fit into God's world. Now we tend to ask, how does God fit into my world? Or does he even? The world tells you that your identity and your worth are found in who you are on your own. But then the world also tells you that, that your identity as who you are on your own is just not quite good enough. Maybe you've received that message from an ex-spouse or from one of the cool kids at school. 
from a science book that tells you you're just a bundle of meaningless cells. From that proverbial school teacher who told you you would never amount to anything. And you're beginning to fear that she was right. But you're not alone in this. In fact, Jesus is right beside you. As John said of him, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Talk about an identity crisis. The identity of Jesus himself was misunderstood, misrepresented, maligned. How great the Father's love that we should be called children of God. Yes, but we often miss the second half of that verse, which says this. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Jesus. But we know it's not just the world's problem, is it? We fail to live up to our identity in Christ well enough on our own. We are, as Martin Luther said, at the same time a saint and a sinner. We are new, redeemed, holy, and righteous. But at times we think and we speak and we act and and we post on Facebook like the people that we were. We struggle to live out our God-given, renewed identity. You know, Abraham and Sarah had done that too. They had traded God's promise for their own definition, their own version of identity. It's easy for us to do the same thing and to begin to doubt who we truly are as God's children. But when we are faithless, God remains faithful. A few weeks ago, one of our Believe Card responses uh, really hit me, and I wanted to share it with you today. One of our worshipers wrote this. Am I really who God says I am? Am I really a new creation? These questions trouble me at times. But then I get into Scripture. Beautiful. When we doubt God's promises to us, when we struggle to lay claim to who we really and truly are in Christ Jesus, where do we turn? To the word of God, where he reminds us again and again that we are his new creation. We are his children. No, Abraham died before he got to see many nations, but he believed. We believe our God-given identity by faith, even when we can't see it. Because we realize that our identity is not based on past evidence or even present evidence. Nor is it subjective based on how we feel. It is based on God's word and God's promise. The thing about God's promises is that they always, always come true. Sarah, not Sarai, Sarah learned this anew as she held Isaac, her baby boy, in her arms. You know, I will always remember the first time I was able to look into Ethan's and, and Anna's eyes. It was incredible. And for Sarah, that experience must have been quite literally beyond belief. Genesis tells us that she exclaimed in amazement, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Well, God would, and he did say that, and then he brought it to fulfillment. Sarah felt that God choosing her as the mother of the child of the promise was a foolish and impossible choice. God proved otherwise to this barren old woman 
bringing her joy and Isaac, laughter. Now, imagine the young virgin Mary, how she felt as she held the baby Jesus in her arms, as she looked into the eyes of her son. And you better believe that the heavenly father joined her and Joseph, gazing down in love at his son as well. And it is that Jesus, the son of the promise, who has applied his death and resurrection to us in baptism. You know, there at the baptismal font, when when your parents held you in their arms and looked down at you in love, God the Father joined them there too. And there, as he gazed into your eyes, he saw his beloved child. Because he saw his one and only son, who has made us all sons and daughters of God. In the waters of baptism, God drowns our sins and drowns out the world's mocking and misdirection and gives us a new identity. He tramples over our doubts and reminds us who we are. At times we may think it's a case of mistaken identity, but make no mistake. Who am I? I am holy, treasured, redeemed. God's beloved child. And so are you. In Jesus' name, amen.